This is Marketing Smarts, a podcast committed to helping you become a savvier marketing leader no matter your level. In each episode, we will dive into a relevant topic or challenge that marketing leaders are currently facing. We will also give you practical tools and applications that will help you put what you learn into practice today. And if you missed anything, don't worry. We put worksheets on our website that summarize the key points. Now, let's get to it. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I am April Martini. And today we're going to talk about how to effectively evaluate candidates for your company or whatever you are, (laughs) your freelance gigs, whatever that might be. And really, we know hiring has been tough for a lot of you. Trying to identify talented candidates and then actually beating out others to secure them is a very real thing right now. That can be super frustrating. But what we would say is don't just default to taking whoever is free. Really take the time to evaluate them appropriately. As an aside, we also have an episode on attracting and retaining top talent, which is our episode 34, Four Strategies for Attracting and Retaining Quality Employees. This is probably more of your higher level, more strategic episode that supplements this one nicely. Here, we're going to try to really drill down in an effort to give you tactics to go and do right now and find those people that you haven't been able to find. But also just good to note to reference that one, too. Yep. And... This, again, is another one of our insider topics, and it's kind of insider from both sides, right? So you get the wisdom of how we actually evaluate candidates if you're actually the one looking for a job. And if you're actually the one in the hiring position, you get some insight into how we coach people to do that, too. Yeah, and I think that's actually a really good point. So multifaceted, this one. All right, so we're here to offer you our perspective on how to effectively evaluate candidates to get the right fit. Number one, count the resume as the first impression. So like we said, we're going to get a little bit granular here. But when you think about reviewing resumes, especially when you have a stack of them, and I feel PTSD when I think about that, like you get back to your desk and there's a stack waiting for you. It can be a daunting process. And for me, I always felt like at some point my eyes were kind of starting to cross. It's like you're kind of reading, you're kind of not, and then they all just start Mm -hmm. to look the same. So What I started to do was give a quick glance first and make a go, no-go pile. And really specifically, I was looking to answer the following questions. Number one, can I quickly digest what's here and is it well organized? In other words, if I scan it, do I get the gist of who they are? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Number two, is there entirely too much information? And this is a pet peeve of mine, but regardless of your number of years of experience, this is not meant to be a book. (laughs) More than two or three, although I cringe a little bit of that, pages, is really just way too many. You cannot possibly have that much to put on those pages. Yeah, it's supposed to be the highlight reel. Yes, exactly. Not the autobiography, right? Yes, exactly. Um, And then the third is, do I get a sense of who they are in my scan? So not just of, you know, can I quickly digest the information, but do I really start to get a sense of who this person might be? If it feels like a templated resume, That's kind of a lot of times in the throwaway pile for me because it doesn't feel like they really did the work to make themselves stand out. Or is this something on the other side that they really considered? And I will say, okay, I'm from a design background. I lived in the creative space for so many years. So layout is extremely important to me. But also, I mean, I have the other side, you know, the business and strategy side too. And I'm not necessarily saying 
design it as though a creative would. I What I'm more saying is, is it done with intentionality, with that lens of helping yourself stand out and with the respect of the person who's on the other end? Because again, if you think about the person that's hiring, sitting there with a whole bunch of resumes, it's one for you to stand out. It's also like, oh, if I put myself in their shoes, they need to be able to quickly digest. If you don't do this, I hate to tell you, in my mind, you go to the no-go pile. Is it, is it important for the paper to be scented like Elle Woods and Legally Blonde? Oh, my God. Okay. You just took it to a whole nother level. Well, <laughs> I'm just saying, like, as an engineer, like, when I was evaluating engineers, I, I, the layout was – I definitely get the layout mm-hmm. being important as far as, like, readability and all that kind of thing. But um, if you're going for a design-level job, it's important to – look the part, right? Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, for example, I was helping um, one of our coaching clients recently look at some and there was someone that they're looking to hire like someone that can handle more of like the social and the digital and they need to have a savviness to them, right? Mm. Those aren't designers for sure. But the resume was organized in a way that I felt like really answered the call of the job description and the way that it was put together, even though this person didn't have tons and tons of experience, it was like you could tell that it was done with intentionality and that it was in response to the job that she was applying for. That makes a ton of sense. So there you go. No scented paper, please, though. Oh, well, okay. I'll have to <laughs> go get some new paper then. Um, and then on the other side of this point, the reason for using that resume as more than just a piece of paper is it it does start to indicate something about the candidate. And while we know candidates are hard to find, there's the other side of you can waste a whole lot of time interviewing people that aren't qualified. And one of the ways to not do that is to use the resume to your advantage. So... I always think about it as how people show up in a resume is the first impression. And they're telling you how much they care about things that are important really to anyone in any job. So number one, is there attention to detail? I recently told another client to pass on a candidate because the name on the file of the resume was somebody else's name. It wasn't theirs. So it was like they'd borrowed oh. a template for some from someone and it was that person's name. And the resume was actually great. And I was like, I'm sorry, attention to detail. So... Hmm. Uh, The second one is consideration of what I, as the hiring manager, want to see or read. So that example I just gave about being really good, it was clear that the person had digested the opportunity and formed their response through their resume in a way that answered what the job description was looking for. Again, not your opportunity to tell me every single thing about you and your career, not a book, quite the opposite. Like Anne said, this is your highlight reel. So, you know, what we're trying to say here, though, is are you answering in kind to what that job description put out there? The third is understanding of what you, candidate, uniquely offers, because standing out is so important. So if I do a scan of the resume, and like I said, my eyes are crossing or I'm half asleep, (laughs) you're a pass. If I do a quick scan and I'm like, okay, got it, then you're a go to the next pile. And then finally, the ability to make an impact. And I know, Anne, this is a big one for you, but are they Mm results-oriented in their resume? And we've actually done a good amount of resume review for a potential candidate. So on that other side, to help them stand out. And this is one of the things we always say is that those metrics and numbers and analytics and proof points of, one, what you did to achieve those KPIs and whatever role you're in and the fact that you understand them is huge. But then also, how did your career build and those KPIs get bigger as you expanded into different roles? 
Yeah, I mean, it is a really, really important one. It's one that almost everybody overlooks yep. in every single re- resume that I have seen. And there's a couple of reasons for that. And I'll get to that in a second. But I want to kind of set up the stage for if you are somebody who's actually interviewing for a role, I can tell you a very common approach that a lot of employers use is what's called the car method. And we used it exclusively at P&G, which is context, action, and results. Mm-hmm. A lot of people will say the context and they'll give their actions, mm-hmm. but they fail to give results. And the reason why you hear a lot of people saying results is like, well, I don't know what they are, mm-hmm. or I'm just a part of the bigger picture. It's like, that's fine. Then your result becomes, I contributed to whatever that bigger picture is. Or the result is I was able to um, reduce the amount of time somebody spent doing this. I mean, it doesn't have to necessarily be a huge business KPI if Mm -hmm. you can't ladder it to there, but you can show a level of impact that has significance. So if a boss was reading it said, oh, well, that person's able to find really great ways of time savings and driving more efficiency, that's very interesting. Yep. So think about what you want people to take away about you from your resume and then structure your results accordingly, but do not leave them out. It's harder to try to actually contextualize them in the right way. And if you have some questions on that, we actually have a really good blog on that one, which is about how to translate your personal brand into your resume. So I suggest going and looking at that. But it is extremely important. It does make your resume stand out and it can be a make or break between you and another candidate. Yeah, I mean, I think that's huge. And as you were talking, one thing that we didn't say overtly, but I feel really strongly about resumes is you should be able to convey a certain amount of savviness. Mm-hmm. And so what Anne just said makes that point, right? It helped, it's, it's really about, all right, do I understand whatever role I'm in, the bigger picture of the company? Do I understand what I'm doing impacts that and how? And so that's where I think those analytics and metrics can have a really big impact. But it's, you know, when you do that first glance of the resume, I'm always looking for, do they have a little bit of savviness and maybe a little swagger, which sounds hard to do in a resume, but it actually is possible and really, honestly, I feel like necessary. Yeah. And that's what, no matter what uh, level you're applying for. So a oh, lot of yeah. people are like, oh, that's for the more developed roles, actually is for any role and it can differentiate you at any level if you're able to put yourself in that right mindset. Exactly. All right, point number two, conducting the first interview with the right mindset, Anne. Yes, so now that you have your resumes and you're going into the interviews, a lot of people (laughs) will tend to use that time as a place to start ticking boxes (laughs) Especially on, okay, do they have this skill? Do they have this experience? This is a very limited mindset to go into an interview with because while I admit that some jobs specifically require or need certain skills, a lot of these things can be, in fact, trained. And so what you really should be looking for is more of the psychographic intangibles that allow you to really see, hey, is this person going to be a good fit for the company overall? Yep. And that's this is going to be an important point to focus on because it's a lot harder to interview for this. But this is how you determine whether or not you have the right fit for the company, for the team, for the role, and for the people involved. 
right? I used to do this by making sure I had some level of profile yeah. um, going in. Um, that doesn't mean that I was necessarily exclusively rigid to that profile, but I had some idea of the kind of person that was going to be a good fit in addition to their their skills and their experiences. Now, and this has been in our previous careers too, are big fans of hiring for aptitude, which is your natural ability to do something. So yeah. it's, it's looking for people who have a really natural ability to do something. And so what does this mean in more detail? I'm going to get into that, but it's Again, it's what, what I described before. It's more of the intangibles. It's more of the softer skills. All right. So those things, again, are a little bit harder to diagnose. So I'm going to take you into a little bit more detail of what these could look like. So first, uh, do they make eye contact, have a firm handshake, have an air of confidence? As April was talking about a little bit of savviness or swagger, what this means is that they feel confident to kind of take on new things. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, they have a belief in themselves. This is really important. No matter what job you put somebody in, that they feel like they have an aptitude in order to do the job. Even if they don't know necessarily how to do the job in the moment, they feel like they can learn and they can do the job. And this is a really big first impression one too. Like with me, I'm always a big fan of mm -hmm. like literally when they enter, how do I feel about how they're showing up in that moment? Yeah, right? I think that's really super important. It's part of your personal brand and it makes a huge impression. Yep. The other part of the personal brand is your appearance, right? So do you present well? Like April was just saying, do you come in with your clothes pressed? Are you coming in dressed appropriately? Do you speak appropriately? Can you convey a thought? Can you interact with others? Like these things that show that when you are going to be in this role, you're going to have a level of presence that's going to give you, you know, that confidence to actually be able to be in a team uh, environment. Are they able to give an elevator speech of their experience? This is meaning like a one to two minute intro into who they are and why they're compelled to want to be here and what is their why and all of those like important things that kind of give you a snapshot of who they are. This really showcases when that they can be able to sell themselves. And mm -hmm. this is an important thing. We talk about this all the time in personal brand. Your ability to sell yourself really determines whether or not you're going to build that credibility and reputation that you're going to need in order to do your job well. Again, this is not just a high level of jobs. This is like if you're interviewing for a job at McDonald's now that's requiring resumes and eventually you want to be a manager, mm -hmm. right? You know, so think about this in context of anything that you're actually hiring for or hiring into, right? And I think this one is really good because it helps you if you are one of those people that tends to be a box checker in interviews, yeah. you're putting the onus on them. So you're able to then be more on the, what do we call it, like defensive, I guess, or in response, right? So they're mm -hmm. going to present to you. So then you ask questions related to what they said versus, again, ticking the box and saying, take me through your resume. Like that was always one that I hated. I'm like, no, let them speak to their summary of who they are and then respond in kind to that. Right. Because it gives you an idea of who you're going to get and yeah. what they believe they're going to be able to offer, right? Yep. Um, also, can they carry a conversation? Um, this might seem like a weird one, but it's really very undervalued in terms of interviews because it doesn't matter, again, what level you're at, your ability to be able to communicate with others, especially in a compelling way mm -hmm. um, that it allows you to teach, that allows you to explain, allows you to influence, allows you to build rapport. These are super, super important characteristics for being able to be successful at your job. If you're introverted, it doesn't matter. You have to find a way to be able to manage your tendencies in order to be able to show up in a very strong way, again, with confidence that allows you to have a conversation with folks. Yep. 
Next, are they prepared? So how much do they really want it? That's what this is all about. So can they answer the questions in ways that are able to really convey how they would behave and act in certain situations? So when you're thinking back to personal brand, this is all about their behaviors and actions, right? So make sure you drill into some of these. And you can do that by asking questions such as, tell me about a time you faced adversity and came through on top. Tell me about one of your greatest missteps and what you learned. Both of these are all about, can they manage failure? Can they um, manage through challenges or did they get stopped? Uh, What is your communication style that gives an understanding of whether or not they're going to fit well in the culture or with you as their boss? Tell me about a time you fought for something you're passionate about. Like how much really like fire did they have, Mm -hmm. right? So these are all things that kind of get you to understand how they're going to behave and act in situations. And finally, and this is a very important one and often overlooked one too, do they have questions ready for you? Yep. Right? Now, they should feel like they're interviewing you as much as you're interviewing them. And they should be having, they should come prepared with questions that make you feel that, yes, they've actually thought about the role. Yes, they've actually done some research in the company. Yes, you know, they have some thought about what kind of fit they may be so that you can have those conversations up front. If they don't have any questions, that's like a really big red flag. Yeah. And that one really drove me crazy. And to your point about people not having that at the ready, I mean, I just really don't understand it because number one, to your point, your mindset should be on the, and I'm speaking on the candidate side now, right? That you are interviewing the company just as much as they're interviewing you. And I think that builds that confidence we're talking about because then you don't feel like you're just in the hot seat. You feel like you can take a proactive role. But I mean, I can't tell you how many interviews I was in. And and again, it was all levels, interns all the way up to super senior people on the team where I'd be like, do you have any questions? And my favorite one was always, no, I think we pretty much covered it. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. And with a lot of them, I would push and I'd be like, really? No questions? Like giving them a second chance? And to me, that was a no. It was just like, you're you're telling me that you're not passionate enough about yourself and your own career to prepare yourself to have this dialogue and assess whether we're good for you, not just us assessing if you're good for us. Yeah. And even and, and this is in all matters of any kind of interview. So I have a senior Ainsley, and she is getting ready to go off to college. And she went for a scholarship interview, and we prepared for that interview. And then what I made sure to to tell her is like, you need to have three to five questions that you can ask. So make sure that you're prepared with your three to five questions and so that they understand that you've thought about it, that you're interested, that this is a place that you want to be at. And it creates a little bit of rapport. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that's exactly right. And that also speaks to starting that really early on, right? Yeah. That like prepping for asking questions and the mentality. It's just such an easy way to show engagement. Number three, hiring is a team effort. Treat it as such. And this is another one that I think some people are really great at and other ones don't think about it and go ahead and hire people in a silo. And I just think like that that just never works well, regardless of any company, any role, et cetera. You are not the master of all interviews ever. And every person has a blind spot. So that's a little mm-hmm. bit of my soapbox on that. Um, but honestly, we talk a lot about culture. And I think that what happens, especially if you're the type of person that isn't hiring for aptitude and you're looking to just fill a skill set, then a lot of the stuff we're talking about here gets discounted. And so 
you are of the mindset that, well, they have experience and they can do the job. And so what else is there? And I've seen that happen a lot mm-hmm. of times versus the opposite, which is they're going to be working, whether you're virtual or not right now, side by side, in air quotes or not, with all these other people that are part of the team. So to not have other people interview this person, I think, just sets up both you, the new candidate and the team for a lot of, if not failure, then just work that is unnecessary, I guess I would say. And really specifically, I mean, I worked at an agency where my counterpart and I were in every single interview once someone got to a certain level of consideration, right? So they probably, again, they'd done their resume, they'd been in, they'd probably been in for one or two interviews at this point with other people. And we were really what you would call the gatekeepers of the culture. We also were notoriously pretty tough and straightforward in interviews. So, of course, depending on the level that the person was coming in, we weren't going to, you know, beat up an intern or anything like that. But the idea was, could they hold their own in the situation in the way that we believed our culture needed to be upheld? And that was stuff like being a self-starter, creative problem solving, being able to get stuff to a point without direction, not just sitting Mm -hmm. on your hands, right? And we were the leaders of all of the accounts, right? So we kind of split the accounts between the two of us. And, you know, no matter whether you were behind the scenes or on the front lines, serving the clients was our role. And so it was important to us that the person fit and be able to do their job. Sure. But it was more like, are they going to work well with the teams when we're at the clients or are they going to be a distraction? You know, all of that kind of stuff. And so when they got through that one, if they did, then it was essentially like, okay, they're good to go. Or we were kind of like that last gate before, you know, is what is it, the Monopoly $200 in Pasco or not? It's <laughs> <laughs> kind of the reference we had. Um, now, on the other side of this, though, I would say don't feel like every single person needs to meet this person, unless you're like a tiny team, right? If your company is like four or five people, then yes, they should probably meet everyone in the company, even if it's just for a five minute, hey, you know. Um, but This is also where, and I said before about time, right? You can spend a lot more time than necessary with candidates and interviews. Um, Make sure you have your bases covered when it comes to the people that are doing the interview, but don't feel like every single person on your team needs to have an hour interview with the person, right? Mm -hmm. You can pop all your people in for the last 20 minutes and have them get a sense of who this person is. I also think it's just plain mean when interviews are like four hours long and it's just a revolving door every 30 minutes of people. I don't care how charismatic you are or how personable you are or how extroverted you are, that is painful because you start forgetting what you said to someone else. Mm -hmm. And it almost becomes like a mind game. Like, oh, shoot, did I already tell them this? Or was that the last person? So be respectful of the candidate. Be respectful of your team. Get the right people in the room, but don't make everyone go through the entire interview process. And then also when you're asking people to participate, make sure you ask them for feedback, take time to internalize it, and then decide whether or not you're going to act against it, right? So for that whole thing with the the culture police, right, we kind of gained the reputation of okay, they have a track record now, right? Like there were people that came through and they were like, I don't think so. And we brought them in and it didn't work out. And so then that became our role versus sometimes you're going to just have people that maybe don't like each other or their personalities are just really different. If they have to work together side by side every day, then you might take that into consideration. If it's the boss of another team who really isn't going to cross any paths with your team, you know, then listen to that type of feedback with a grain of salt, right? They can be, they can have the aptitude, they can be highly qualified, 
qualified. But if something's rubbing the wrong way, that's just a personality thing, that might not be something that you take into consideration. Yeah, and at PNG, we managed it two different ways. One is we always had panel interviews that did not include the hiring manager. Yes. Right? So yep. it was usually like three, maybe four people, um, sometimes within function, sometimes outside of function, sometimes within the actual um, category, sometimes outside the category that we're able to assess the candidate because sometimes as as a hiring manager, you kind of start falling in love with some of the candidates, right? Mm-hmm. And you and as you talked about blind spots, sometimes you get a blind spot to whether or not they really are a good candidate versus- You just like them as people. You just like yep. them as people, right? You go out and have a drink with them, but maybe they not might be the, the best fit. So I always relied a lot on that panel interview to be like, okay, is there anything that I overlooked, anything I missed? Is there anything I'm being too critical on that you guys didn't see the same way? All of those things. But then as well as our culture police were a little bit more, I guess, a little less defined. But in the case to really see if there were going to be a good fit for the culture, we would do Dinners the night before, mm. lunches that day. Um, we called them project discussions as well. So they would meet with other people within the organization where the hiring manager was not a part of it. Yep. So they can kind of see, hey, is this person going to be able to jive with the rest of the team? And that feedback was given back to the hiring manager to say, yeah, you know, they were they were good. They kind of fit. They were able to talk. They seemed like they had a good spirit about them, those sorts of things. They asked really good questions um, or not, you know. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't meant to try to, like, be manipulative of the candidate. But, I mean, just as a candidate, realize anybody you're talking to is an interview, whether it's formal or informal. Uh-huh. It is a level of interview. So you always have to be on your A game when you're going and you're doing these things in order to make sure that you are constantly and consistently representing yourself throughout the whole entire process. I always thought about like keeping on your game face and remembering it's a first impression situation regardless. Like on the candidate side, I think it is important even if you get comfortable to the opposite of your hiring manager just liking somebody, right? Like it's great if you feel comfortable and you're like, yeah, this is going well, I'm really excited. But there's also like the fall off. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so just be careful. Yeah. Especially in meals and all of that kind of stuff. Don't get just, overly familiar. Yeah. We've had that conversation before. Yes. The two drink maximum, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Take that into consideration. <laughs> all right. Point number four. Use the offer as a final confirmation, Anne. Yeah, so a lot of people tap out here. They're like, hey, great. The hard work's done. Yep. We have our candidate. They like us. We like them. Hey, this is great. But again, it's not really over yet, right? Yep. Because you still have a very important point to go through, which is you have to give the candidate the offer. They have to accept the offer, right? And so that in itself becomes something to evaluate. And that's really comes down to negotiation, right? And These are some really important things to consider and how they handle themselves is a really important thing to consider because it's going to set up the the framework for how they're going to engage, especially when there's something maybe somewhat contentious on the line or somewhat controversial on the line. So you're going to get a a little bit of a view into how they might handle themselves, right? So, you know, are they really outlandish in their ask? Um, We're seeing a lot of that right now because of the lean work environments. People are really taking advantage of that and are coming in with outrageous offers, which Mm -hmm. just means they think a whole lot of themselves. They're overvaluing themselves and they're not being representative of what the industry is actually offering. That's generally a, a red flag right there. And it comes across really tone deaf. 
it's so it so does it so does and people actually share that so the first thing people will do for those of you guys who have tried to use this is they will check with the industry mm-hmm. and say is this way higher than what you're paying? I'll go to their networks and then you kind of get a little bit of a black ball. Yep. Right? Because they will share your name. It's yep. like, this candidate is asking for this. Can you believe it? I, it happened. I'm telling you it happens. All right. So also, are they able to assert themselves and really stand up for themselves? This is a really important characteristic. But are they able to do it in a very respectful way? Right? So obviously, you should be able to feel like you should be able to get the value that you command. But... It is a negotiation, and it has to be done in a respectful way. And, you know, for those of you who are like, oh, I just, I mean, I really want this job. I don't really want to, like, rock the boat. Mm -hmm. Like, that's fine, too. I mean, if it's a really, really fantastic offer, it's more than you could ever want. You know, it's not bad to say, okay, I'm not going to go in and negotiate that. Um, You have to kind of weigh it from your own personal point of view. But there's always something that can be negotiated. If you're not going to negotiate money, maybe it's vacation days. Yep. Um, this is a really big one when you're going from like one company to the next. A lot of times, and this is the biggest contention point that I've ever seen, more than the money, is like when people lose their vacation yep. you know, or their personal time off and stuff like that. Make a little bit of an offer for vacation days. That's usually an e- easy yes, unless there's something set up that doesn't allow you to be able to do that. Or again, you're asking for a crazy amount of time. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. So I'll tell a little bit of a of a story um, because when I was hiring a, a candidate in at PNG, he was coming from New York. So obviously, when you're coming from New York into Cincinnati, um, it's a little bit of a slightly different pay range, right? Slightly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it's a lot of a different pay range because obviously the cost of living in New York is very different than the cost of living in Cincinnati. So two things actually happened with this candidate. One was um, even we got to the point where we said, hey, we're going to probably give you an offer here. Um, it took a long time for the approval for the offer to come through. I mean, a way longer time than it should to the point where I knew he was moving from New York in- back into Cincinnati and he was counting on a job in Cincinnati. Right. Mm-hmm. So I actually had to have a conversation with him like, listen, I really want this to come through. I'm not sure it's going to come through. So you need to go do what you need to go do. Um, so, I mean, it would be a shame for us to lose you. I mean, it'd be horrible, but you got to do what you got to do. Great news for me is that a week later, the, the actual offer was approved and I was able to go do that before he was able to go do anything. But what he came back and told me after he started was, I'm glad the fact that you told me that, the fact that you were so transparent and honest about that made me want to work for you even more. Mm -hmm. And it added a ton of credibility to the type of person that I was and how I was going to be to work for. Right. So that's one thing to kind of keep in mind is especially during that part of, you know, it's it's really hard for the candidate to sit and wait. I'm not saying that you should be like sharing all of the secrets of the business or sharing things you shouldn't be sharing, but being honest and transparent could be very helpful. And then the second part of the conversation actually came from the offer where he, when we gave him the offer, which was a very legit Cincinnati offer, he's like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, all right. And so we did a, a little bit of negotiation and we're able to, I'm not saying we're going to get, we gave him everything he wanted, but we're able to find a compromise that worked for both of us. But the very first thing I had to have a conversation with him about when he started and it started coming to the pay raise time, I was like, hey, listen, here's our pay curves. And you great thing is you negotiated really well. But the bad thing is you're outside the pay curve. So your yeah. next you know raise isn't going to be as outstanding as you want it to be. So I say all that to say, be careful what you ask for. You may get it. Mm-hmm. 
but you may not know what the implications are inside the company. Yeah. Well, and I think the thing that you did there, and this is another thing that I think falls out of this point in the process, is you were very human about it, mm-hmm. right? You didn't let it get to the point where you knew he was wondering and you were not going to reach out because you didn't have an answer, right? You, I feel like you put yourself Especially in the position. Especially since we wanted the candidate, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, and you put yourself in the position of what would I want in this circumstance? And I think that a lot of times because it's super uncomfortable. Not everybody likes to talk about money. If you really want the job, it's hard to go back and ask for something. All of those different things. I think it automatically creates a lot of anxiety and tension. Mm -hmm. And then everybody is kind of thinking that they have to be ready for a fight, essentially. Right. And it can really ruin the start. And it could ruin the start. Absolutely. On either side. Absolutely. So I think that that's a really good example of maintaining a well level head but also just respect for the other person and that transparency can go a really long way to say look again this has nothing to do with you we really want you here but there are certain things that I have to wait on and this is one where I'm not in control right 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 so just to recap how to effectively evaluate candidates to get the right fit Number one, count the resume as the first impression. How does the person show up? Remember, this is the first thing they're putting in front of you to communicate about them and who they are. Number two, conducting the first interview with the right mindset. This is not a check the box exercise. You must probe deeper. Number three, hiring is a team effort. Treat it as such. If you work with others, your opinion might be the deciding factor, but it's not the entire factor. And finally, number four, use the offer as a final confirmation. This might give you additional information on the person and your decision. Are you craving a deeper dive immersion into the topics on our podcast? Then you will appreciate our virtual consultancy. Located on the shop page of our website, forthright-people.com, you can now download our digital coaching modules on vigilant leadership, culture building, and social strategy. For the cost of a book, you will get diagnostic tools and exercises to assess your current state and development tools to quickly and intentionally improve your proficiency. These are quick yet effective ways to improve your marketing savvy today. Check it out and let us know other topics you would like us to go deep on. All right, on to our next segment, which is in the trenches, where we give real-world examples specific to industries and situations, but with broad application for anyone listening to digest and put into action. Number one, we've hired someone that flew through the interview process with flying colors, but then they showed up and it's not working out. Help. (laughs) All right. So what I will say here is, number one, hiring is not a perfect science. In fact, it is not a science at all. I wish I could say that this is uncommon. Unfortunately, it's not. So my first piece of advice is to deal with it in due time. So don't knee-jerk react. Also, don't wait too long. There are some people out there, and I just 1,000% believe that this is like their special skill, and they're just great at interviewing. Mm -hmm. And I've interviewed them before, and they just are. And then they show up at the job, and you're like, Was that the same person? Which has happened to me on more than one occasion. So if, in fact, you're in this situation, just know that assessing whether you're right or wrong about the fit takes a little bit of time. And you do need to give the new person a bit of grace. That is important. I mean, as someone who is a you know, pretty extreme extrovert, when I meet new people, I have a ton of energy for that. I love that, right? 
when I'm settling into a new job, my enthusiasm for the job isn't less, but my energy is just different because now I'm settling in to do my job, right? So that would be an example of like, just give it a little bit of time. But again, if you're going to assess this, here's what we would say. Is the person coming across seemingly more quiet and less assertive than during the interview? This could be because they really did just psych themselves up for the interview and now they're here, like that example I just gave, and they want to be respectful of lots of different things, taking the time to absorb and learn, not overstepping too quickly, um, making sure that, yes, they ask questions, but giving them some time to observe and sort of orient themselves within the team. That is not a bad thing. In fact, I would Mm -hmm. take that over someone that comes in guns a-blazing. Being patient with these type of people can actually pay dividends. So Yeah, they're processing. Yes. And they're trying to be humble in the processing. Absolutely. All right. The second one, did the person say they can do something that you see them not being able to actually do? So if this is a technical skill that they said they had and they clearly don't, then you need to address that immediately, right? That's You lied on your resume or in the interview, okay? Mm-hmm. But if it's a softer skill thing, Make sure that what you communicated was internalized by them in the same way. Again, we talked throughout the episode so far about this idea of aptitude and softer skills, and you're not just hiring for being able to do a thing. So while you might think you were totally clear about the expectation, they might have just taken it a different way. And so just make Mm -hmm. sure that you're assessing that. So if you believe that they're not showing up the way you want or you feel that way, then have the conversation in a totally non-threatening way that you're surprised by the behavior because you had X discussion during the interview. And again, don't accuse. Just say, I'm sorry, I think there was a little bit of a disconnect, right? In the interview, we talked about this and I'm not seeing that. I just want to make sure we're clear or something like that that allows it to be open-ended and have a discussion instead of you're doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. All right. The next one is the person taking longer to adapt than you thought they should. Again, look internally at yourself first and the team and ensure that the person is getting the right support. This is especially true of really tight knit teams. They're great, but it can be really hard to infiltrate as a new person. And even if you feel like you hired someone who's going to fit in just right to that team in the long term, in the short term, again, if they're kind of like observing and waiting, they're trying to probably find their way in, right? So make sure that the team is being welcoming, that the team's going out of their way, that you're keeping an eye on it to make sure that they feel good, and that, again, they're given the chance to fit in with the team. I also think you need to look into your onboarding practices. Oh, for sure. Right. And making sure they're regimented and making sure they're inclusive. Yes. Right. (laughs) Because a lot of times people see the new person as a threat, not as a help. And if your onboarding processes aren't regimented to the point where it's a very clear expectation for how somebody comes on board and it's left to anyone's device, one, it's inconsistent. So you're not quite sure if the person's getting all the training that they need Mm -hmm. or the visibility that they need. And two, it puts the new person on the defensive being like, um, what's going on here? Yep. Like, am I, like, part of this team? Mm-hmm. Am I not part of my team? And uh, do they even want me here? So make sure that you're setting up the right dynamic and the right inclusivity to make sure um, you actually also have the right onboarding process in order to facilitate all that. I think that's a great point. All right. But overall, you know, and and this is me speaking from April's perspective, third person, um, coming from a place of someone (laughs) that did make some knee jerk reactions. And I do have really high expectations. What? Just decide. I know. It's 
shocking. Decide what the grace period is and really give the person some time and patience in order to adapt and adjust. And then also, as the point Anne just made, make sure that your team and you are giving them what they need in the process. And taking the time to do that. And taking the time to do that. Yeah, exactly. The whole trial by fire thing. I'm like, no, that's that's inappropriate. (laughs) Set the person up for success. Yes. And then on the other side, but, and this is a big but, if you believe that you are in a bait and switch situation or the person outright lied, do not let that situation permeate the organization. Mm-hmm. It needs to be nipped in the bud immediately. And I'll just offer this anecdote because I still chuckle about this. So that previous organization where I was the culture police with my counterpart, we actually had a situation where a guy we hired and we were very excited about showed up on the first day and we were literally like, that's not the same person. Like literally we were like, that is definitely not the individual that we hired for this job. And it turned out to not be, it was one of those where stellar interview, yep. but really couldn't show up and told us a lot of good stuff and good for him for getting past the pressure test. <laughs> but it, I mean, it, it actually end- catches up with you. It, yeah. And it ended with, you know, departure from the organization, all of that. But I mean, literally, we stood in the hallway together and I will never forget this. And we we're like, that is not the same person that we interviewed to the point where we we're like, did they send someone else in? Are there cameras here somewhere we can check? <laughs> anyway, just a funny anecdote. Well, and I think the other thing you need to consider, too, is where the person is coming from. So you can understand yeah. where they're kind of their head in their their soul maybe already um, may have some of that baggage or they may have some level of perception that you might actually or your company might actually be different but they haven't actually acclimated to that new environment yet so I'll give an example to that is that I hired um, a person and she was coming right from school and actually she was coming from grad school and um, we had super high hopes for her she was like looked all to be great on paper. She did really fantastic interview, and then after a couple months, my my boss um, was asking me, "Well, how is you know this new person doing?" I'm like, "You know what? I'm kind of like a little disappointed. I'm like, I thought she was going to be a little bit more self oriented, like she was going to kind of take on a little mm-hmm. bit more. She's going to be a little bit more vocal in her opinion." I'm like. She's not really offering any of that stuff, and she kind of said that's kind of what she did in the interview. And he goes, "Well." You know, remember, she's coming from an environment where she was basically told what to do Mm -hmm. all the time. Like, she did somebody else's work. Did you even ever tell her that this was her own work? And I was like, oh, no, no, I never did have that conversation. And so I went and I had that conversation. I was like, hey, listen, I'm like, I really appreciate everything you're doing. But, like, these are your projects. So you can, like, take them, own them. We'll check in. But you go, you know, this is up to you. And she's like... Oh, and then from that point on, it was like a totally different person, but it was like my blind spot of like, oh, I didn't even realize that the place that she was coming from before had a different way of doing things that she hadn't totally like internalized that it could be different where she's at. Yeah. And it took took me to tell her that in order for it to kind of be okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I'll tell one more and we can move on to the next one. But when I first got to the last agency I was at, they, they, they call it now my like deprogramming but basically because i was at an agency prior where it was highly competitive very serious you it was no nonsense you did your work like and you had to really kind of like fight for yourself every day right and really prove yourself and there could be no cracks in the armor and all that so no chinks in the armor whatever all that stuff that they told me that for like the first month and a half 
they just kind of gave me a wide berth and hoped that that would go away. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and then finally, it just like I popped out of it, right? It was because that's not really who I was. I had reacted to your point yeah. to a previous environment I was in. And then I started to resurface, I guess I would say. And they're like, oh, phew, okay. And so, like, and then it took them like another three months to tell me that because oh, they didn't geez. want to hurt my feelings. But anyway. Oh, wow. Yeah. All right. Number two in the trenches. I do not feel like I have great instincts when initially meeting people. It takes me a while and the interview process is short in terms of that. What do I do? So, yeah, this can be tough. I already said, you know, I kind of have the opposite problem, which is I snap to judgment. We would say that in this case, then it's all the more reason to prepare yourself and include other people as part of the process. You don't have to be Mm -hmm. perfect and great at every single aspect of of your job. It's just not going to be possible. Right. So surround yourself by people that can help. But there are specific things that anyone can evaluate when they're paying proper attention. And this really requires you to tune in and, you know, be present and all of those things. But. Very specifically, if you refer to the second point, things like confident handshake, eye contact, showing up well put together, they take care with their responses, they can hold a conversation like that. You can kind of create a checklist for in your head because you're looking for things that are indicative of who the whole person is. You're not Mm -hmm. just checking the box on skills. So I do believe that anybody can take a list like that and execute it and and understand, connect the dots to why that's important. Right. Again, including other people whether it's culture police or someone who just is very good at assessing personalities, you can find other people in the organization and tap them in. And the other side we would say is sometimes people put too much pressure on themselves for a variety of reasons. So think about this like a conversation between two people, not like an interview, because I think Mm -hmm. interview suggests I have to be super formal and stiff and I can't make a mistake and I can't say the wrong thing, you know, and you can kind of psych yourself out on either side. So, Some things to think about when you're having this conversation with this other person. And I actually would go into every interview at that last agency and say, this is meant to be a conversation. I'm not trying to catch you. I'm not like tallying your responses. I really just want this to be a conversation. And I would say you should be interviewing us just as much as we're interviewing you. Mm -hmm. Um, But things to think about. Do you like the person? Literally, Mm -hmm. do you like them? Would you want to spend more time with them? Think about how much time you're at work. Do you like them enough to have them in your daily life at work? Do you feel like what they're saying is true? Are they feeding you a line or do they mean it? I don't care if you're terrible at if you feel like you have no intuition. I hear people say that there is no way that if someone's really feeding you a line that you don't have any kind of sense that that might be what is happening. Like, I just I feel like you have to have some idea. Except for the one that you got totally snowed on. Well, that's fair. Okay, fine. It can happen. One in a lot. One in a lot. That's that's fair. (laughs) Um, are they able to carry the conversation to the best of their ability? So this is another big one of, you know, you don't have to be a great conversationalist to do well in interviews. You just have to own your style and present yourself consistently as such. So I've had people, for example, that need a second to respond. And it's because they're trying to be thoughtful in their response. They're not trying to be weird or awkward. They're like, okay, you know, and they want to process and give you the right answer. I've even had people say, I'm not being weird. I really am just trying to think of the right way to say this to you. Like, (laughs) you know, so just think about that too. Like, all right, they're conversing in their way, but it is in a way that you can jive with, get on board with and respect that they're in this interview and they might be a little nervous, et cetera. Would you like to see them again? Yeah. I mean, literally there, there have been plenty of candidates where I've been like, please, this cannot end fast enough. 
goodbye. <laughs> and there's been just as many where I'm like, oh, that went so fast. I would love to continue the conversation, right? So something as simple as that, orienting your brain that way can help you even if you think you're not great at first impressions with people. And of course, the skills and all of that need to be assessed too. But I think people sometimes sell themselves short and say that they're not good at this when really it just takes a little practice to build a practice for themselves of how to manage these situations. Yeah, I think that's all really good advice. I mean, what what I tend to see a lot is that people get so like paralyzed when they actually have to make a decision, right? Yep. And especially since they're kind of looking for the ideal person. Yeah. And they and if somebody doesn't check off all the boxes that they want or they have some feeling about something and it's just not exactly what they want and they were hoping for this, they're like, ah, well, you know, is this the best I'm going to get? Or, you know, should I keep looking? Or should I take this person? Like, I've seen the hiring process take freaking forever, and people miss out on really fantastic candidates because they can't sure make a do. decision. Yep. So I think all the advice you gave here is really good. The other way I tend to look at it, and I told you before that I tend to have a profile going in, but if I see something that is like, oh, I'm not so sure, I do use, again, the panel interviews to kind of test that for me. I'm like, is this a, as big of a deal as I think it might be? And yeah. somebody could say, yeah, it is. Or, no, nah, I think we can, like, you know, work through that. I had a similar candidate, and it was this, and I was able to do this and that and the other. So you get almost a team that kind of helped raise your, you know, your yep. new hire, to so to speak. But then also, I kind of see how I did um, for dating, which is like... <laughs> There's five, like you can have five non-negotiables, right? So five non-negotiables and you can define whatever those five are. Your top three are usually like, okay, you can't violate this. And the other two are kind of like, well, if it's kind of like this, but it's more like this and it's probably okay. Mm -hmm. Identify your five non-negotiables of what you feel like you absolutely have to have within your candidate. And that can help you put some criteria to it that maybe help you move along. And as you said, I'm like, if it ends up not being the right fit, I mean, is it gut-wrenching to say, God, I got to go through all this process again? Well, maybe, except for you probably have been interviewing others and you probably have a close second or a third yeah. or, you know, something to that effect. So hopefully you have people in the pipeline, but you can undo it. Yeah. I mean, it's not like, oh, I made this, you know, chose this person and now we're like wedded for life. I mean, it's <laughs> just like dating. You could say, oh, well, sorry, um, I'm moving on now. Right. Yep. So. Yep. Well, and I like to think about those non-negotiables as like, what are your real hot buttons? Like, if it's things that just take you to zero to 100, that's probably a non-negotiable. <laughs> or Yes, for sure. Or what do you really, really need within the business? Yeah. Right? So, I mean, I, I think it's, it's important. It's nice if you like the person. But knowing that, like, sometimes personalities don't mesh, it's yeah. like, well, can I respect the person? Yeah. Right? You know, can I respect the person and what they're doing if they're really good at this other thing? Yeah. Right? So, I mean, some of these are, like, are levers that you can decide what, are good ones for you and mm -hmm. what is the right thing for you because you may not feel like you don't need to like everybody but you yep. really want somebody that is really good here right yeah or yep. if you find that somebody can't carry on a conversation you're like I, I need to have people who can carry on a conversation you know that might be one too so yep. it's it's up to you to decide i think yeah, yeah. what those are yeah. yeah yeah all right number three in the trenches how did you get good at hiring i will say really honestly by doing a lot of it <laughs> I mean, really and truly. Um, no, but seriously, though, I, I think that whole doing a lot of it, what came out of it was finding my own style for it and not conforming to what I thought it was supposed to look like. And I think that's kind of the, the gist of what we're trying to say here, right? It doesn't have to look a certain way. 
So whatever is going to make you feel the most authentic you and represent your company and whatever you feel like is going to work best for the candidate and what you're looking for, that's really where you should land. And so I said just before the whole thing about coming in and saying, look, this is a conversation. I'm not super formal. I'm not trying to catch you. All of that was the way that I would set up every single interview because it made me feel better about entering into the conversation. And I also wanted to see, like, how did they respond to that? Right. Were they able to jive with that? And if they weren't and that was one of those things to me or the organization, I mean, that was the culture. It was like we don't take ourselves too seriously here. We're, you know, professional, but we're not stiff, you know, and so we Mm -hmm. I had kind of those parameters going in. And so if the person could loosen up and have a really good conversation, that was a good indication to me that they could probably fit the culture, especially as the culture representative. Right. Um, and then on the other side of that, I would say I, I tried to, if I was the actual manager of the person, speak to some things that were specific about my style. Because for me, one of the non-negotiables was really fit with the team. And at that point in time in my career, this example I'm speaking to, I was super protective of that team. I had built that entire team and I knew what was going to work and what wasn't. And so I would say things like, I'm super direct as a boss, which means you can ask me anything, but you better be ready for the answer. And I would kind of like see mm-hmm. what the response was if they chuckled and were like, that's totally cool with me that, you know, I don't get that now. And I would like that. Or if it was like, <gasps> and they sat back in their chair, you know, like you're looking for those types of indications and they are definitely the softer things. Um, and then on the other side, I think it is when you think about the non-negotiables and what I meant before about the hot buttons, it's like, If there's something glaring that you can't stop paying attention to, pay attention to why that's glaring to you. So, for example, for me, I can't stand people that are late. I just can't, myself included. Like, Mm, I am a mess. If I am late, I'm a mess. And so if someone shows up late, and even if they had a really good reason for doing so, it's just one of those things for me. It's like, I get it, but also I don't get it. Because if this is your first impression, this is the first time you're showing up in front of me, The fact that there was traffic, you probably should have left early just in case. You know, like I'm like, this is a situation where this is that important to me and the person has already violated that when they're supposed to be giving me their best first impression. That's a problem for me. So just a few things on my end. Well, that's interesting because I wonder if this is a corporate agency dynamic, too, because if I were to get in an interview and I would tell a candidate, oh, we're just going to have a conversation, they'd be like, yeah, right. Yeah. (laughs) This is B&G. There's just no way that that's true. And I also found um, that if I tried to set it up like that, it actually took the candidates off their game a little bit. Hmm. So um, it it doesn't mean that you have to be super intimidating. I mean, I guess for some jobs, if you're really trying to test to see if somebody can handle the intimidation, Mm -hmm. okay. But for most of us out there, we're not trying to like super duper intimidate our candidates. But if I tried to make it too informal, then I felt like the conversation kind of strayed from actually getting the information that I needed Mm. from the candidate. And they were kind of like, I don't know how to present this. Am I allowed to tell a joke? Am I not allowed to tell a joke? I practiced it this way. And now I'm like, am I showing enough personality? Am I showing like not enough, you know, or too much personality, not enough personality? I'm like, it it kind of took them off their game. Now, Mm -hmm. when I would like take them out to lunch, then we'd have a super informal conversation. We kind of get to know each other. But in an interview setting, I always like try to keep it a little bit more professional. But that might be just because of the circumstances for which I was hiring um, and because there's certain format and certain structure for which you hire at P&G and 
um, it's uh, it's all processed there. So, um, so it's interesting. You 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 can hear now two sides yep. of of the um, of the hiring mantras here of what works, and I think it just goes back to like what works for your organization. Totally right. So, um, and what's the candidate's expectation coming into it? Yeah. Right. So again, if you're going to go hire for a law firm, you wouldn't expect like a super duper casual conversation, right? <laughs> no. So I mean. Just be authentic to also and be respectful to what the candidate's expecting coming into. And to some extent, it's like trying to push them off their game kind of feels a little manipulative. Yeah. So, well, and I think I mean, I think that is a great point, because knowing P&G, I would have never gone in informally to an interview. Right. Like, yeah. so I think that that is right. It's whatever's right for the culture of the organization. And I think for us the threat of the culture was like a living thing and it was so important to us that that is why we led interviews that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. It was like, it, it wasn't, I think your point's really fair about trying to throw them off their game. It wasn't that. It was more, can they jive with how we work here? Because even compared to other agencies, when I think about that one, it was the most seemingly informal one that I've ever worked for, right? And so that was the right tone there. And and I think there's also a range, right? So some of the agencies that I worked at, like I said, the one where it was like super serious and it was silent. Like it was the only agency I ever worked at when I walked in and I'm like, it is so quiet. Like, you know, the whole pin drop expression. It was a thousand percent true there. Like you could hear it if someone dropped a paperclip. Nobody talked. But it was, you know, when that interview was very different than that next agency where it was kind of the opposite. So I think it is. And I think that point about not trying to throw them off their game for the sake of doing that, I think that's exactly right. It's whatever whatever is going to serve your organization is what you need to be looking for. And it needs to be in assisting the candidate to be prepared for getting that job and your organization finding the right people. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I would say it's the same perspective on the candidate side, too, because I've had candidates come in and try to totally take over the yeah, whole interview yeah. by yep. like taking a question and then trying to get it off topic or trying to talk a lot yep. you know more informally and you know I've actually seen candidates or I've heard them and sometimes because they come from other folks and so you're kind of like well how did they think it went and they yeah. said oh they thought it went well you guys talked about physical fitness the whole entire time you know and I'm like and I was like well, we talked about physical fitness because the candidate was like that only thing that they were talking about. And of course, those are the ones that you kind of t- tend to cut short because, you yeah. know, it's not going anywhere. And I said, they didn't say anything about themselves. Right. You know, so yeah. it's like you have to be very careful to as a candidate that you honor the process yep. that you're going into. Um, I, I Too many people come out, and, you know, they want to feel comfortable. They want to feel like it's just a conversation. But sometimes that also really stops your opportunity about the, those people actually getting to know you in a way that they need to in order to see if you're the right fit. So yeah. um, that's it's really important not to get um, wrapped up in yourself so much that you're trying to throw the whole game as yes, well. Totally. All right. Number four in the trenches. The workforce is tough right now, though. Would you adjust any of this given the circumstances, Anne? Not really in the context of the process. I think the biggest thing that we see uh, people really making a mistake of is they have the scarcity mindset. And so they just want to throw a warm body in mm-hmm. there. And so they're willing to sacrifice on some of the really important things that we've talked about today, fit with culture, whatever the aptitude uh, soft skills are as well as like the harder skills. Yep. So they'll just kind of throw somebody in and then they're like, yeah, hey, it should be okay for right now. But 
what that tends to happen is that your existing workforce starts feeling undermined because yeah. especially if this person isn't as strong of a, of a candidate, granted they're new, but people can sense this stuff out pretty quickly if they're not taking on their part of the work or if they're not excelling like they're supposed to or they're a big liability and trying to get them onboarded because they don't have a really go-getter attitude. I mean, you start then potentially sacrificing the good culture that you established with your other folks and you have the potential of losing them. And then you just kind of create this bigger hole for yourself. Mm -hmm. So don't just fill with a warm body. Now, what you might need to do is you might need to restructure a little bit. So you may need to rearrange your work so that the work that is core to your top performers, they're doing the most important work. And instead of trying to find somebody else to do another specific piece of work that they can handle, you hire somebody to do something that looks totally different that might be a little easier for mm -hmm. them to be able to pick up or and, and operate and run. And that's and it's not as essential part of the of the job, for example. So like if you're hiring another like VP of strategy, for example, if you're in an agency, you may say, well, I'm not going to hire a VP for strategy. I'm going to just redistribute the strategy work. But instead of my strategist taking all of the work to like assess the landscapes and stuff like that, I'm going to hire somebody that can do all the assessing the landscape work, yep. as an example. Yep. Like, so a portion of the strategy, yep. as an example. So you may have to be more creative on that. And you might have to hire it out temporarily, too. And what I say is, like, if you can hire and you have enough money to hire a full-time person, you have enough money to hire it out, too. Yep. Yep. And sometimes that is in a colleague. So it's another agency that does the work really well. You kind of partner up together, and you're like, hey, um, we'll take some of this work if you could take some of this work. Some of it's about hiring a freelancer. Um, and we're in the gig economy. You might need somebody who can just come in who's really good at it, does it, and then leaves. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you have to like structure it to allow for that to happen, right? So... Um, before you decide just to fill a role with a warm body, think about all these other ways that you can potentially make it work until you can have more people that are coming that are really true candidates. Yeah, and I love the the get creative piece because I think, you know, we said earlier in this episode that interviewing can take a lot of your time. Yeah. And that's another piece of it, right? If you're only willing to look at it one way, it's going to take you longer. You know, I mean, I see all kinds of and someone just told me this the other day, the amount of director of strategy roles they're seeing right now out there. Oh, yeah. And that they're just sitting there for months on end. It's like, well, OK, first of all, I'm always like, well, who's doing that work now? <laughs> is that going to dry up by the time you get someone in there? But I think the get creative piece is really important because maybe sometimes that that's a short term solution, but maybe sometimes it's also a long term solution. Yeah, it, it, you find out, hey, this actually works this great. Actually works better. Yeah. You know, yeah. All right. So our third and final segment is now what we're calling Marketing Smarts Moments, which, again, might or might not have anything to do with the topic of, at hand. But it's something that we've experienced recently that we feel like we just want to share with all of our listeners. So mine does not have, I mean, other than other than the fact, I guess, that they were interviewing me to see whether I could take the puppy home it really has nothing to do with, <laughs> <laughs> with this episode. Um, but the one that I will say is Kyle Veterinary Hospital, and they're located here in Cincinnati. And um, we recently adopted a puppy. Her name is Vinny, and she's some kind of boxer mix, and she's seven weeks old as of yesterday. So we're all in love. So it's very top of mind. Um, but the thing about this vet, um, and, and the thing about, I think, just the industry in total, right? Like, 
there are some vets that are just amazing and you feel all the love and mm-hmm. there are some that are not that right and so we've actually had the benefit of having one for many years that we just absolutely adored and that's why this is even more of something i wanted to highlight so we were looking for a puppy we were um recommended to the shelter by our friend Jill. It also turns out that this is the same vet Anne goes to with yep, Roxy. Over so, 20 years. Yeah. So obviously, if if, you, if my loyalty doesn't speak, hers does. Um, but they posted a, a, a group of puppies um, and the mom had just been rescued and the babies had just been born. And I connected with one immediately for past dog reasons, all of that. Um, but in my head, I was going to go back to our previous vet because I loved our previous vet and mm-hmm. I thought he did a fantastic job. And even though he's now a 15 minute drive away, I was still going to do that. There's plenty of them in my neighborhood, but I was like, nope, we're going there until I met the people that work at Kyle Veterinary. I was so blown away. And like I said, we've had fantastic experiences in the past. These people, I mean, when I called to ask, inquire about the puppy, we were going on vacation like the next day. So literally I couldn't make it up there to see her. And they're like, oh, we'll just hold her. I'm like, no, I'll put the deposit down. And they were very much like, it's seriously, it's okay. We can wait a week, whatever. I was like, no, it'll make me feel better that it's taken care of, right? So the week we got back, I went to meet her, to meet the mom. Four people stayed in that room with me for like 15 minutes. And I know they were assessing me, right, to make sure <laughs> that it, like also to the point of this episode, to make sure I was going to be Did you bring a, good... a sense of paper resume? Because yeah. that would have helped. <laughs> yeah, that the, the dogs could eat. <laughs> <laughs> or edible resume, Edible maybe. resume. <laughs> um, but just, I mean, you could tell. And so what I learned is, yes, they're a vet, but they also have this rescue aspect of their business. And it is a, clearly a huge passion area for mm-hmm, the people. That work there. Um, and so, I mean, it was just amazing to talk with them. And I mean, there was definitely plenty going on, but they were there to, you know, talk, answer questions. And again, I know they're assessing me, whatever. Um, and then just the process from there. I mean, I've been through other adoption situations where I was made to feel inept and underqualified and just, I mean, put down quite frankly and I'm like I'm just trying to give this pup a home I get it on one side but on the other side please don't talk to me like that right they couldn't have been anything but the opposite of that and so I went back weekly to get to know the pup better and I just fell more in love with these people each time to the point where we're now switching to them Mm. and it like we talk all the time about culture and energy and all of those things and they are actually further away than even the 15 minute bed. It'll take me a good 20, 25 minutes to get to them. But I just feel so good about one, I'm aligned with their mission and what they're doing. Right. Yeah. Rescuing is something that I've always felt is just so important to find the right homes and all of that aspect. But then just also the fact that they love being there. No one had a negative thing to say. I mean, when we went to pick her up, the one woman was like teary to let the puppy go, right? And then also in terms of just the way that they treated me, like I went to pick her up and they're like, oh, her brothers and sisters just pooped and she stepped in it. Let's give her a bath real quick before (laughs) you take her home, right? But I mean, I just like it's in some ways, I can't wait to take her back there. You know, like it's not a scary, a bad environment. There's nothing about that. And I feel like part of their community now. And then also we've done a terrible job historically of training our dogs to be boarded. We've always had them stay with family members and whatever, which is not going to be as much of an option anymore with all the kids being born in the family. And I totally trust that they'll do the same thing on that side of the business for her too. And so I just think that 
it is a necessary business. It also can be one that is fraught with a lot of not like excuses, I guess I will say like, oh, vets aren't that personable or you have to think like they might be technically good with the dogs, but they might not be good with you. Like I've heard all these things over the years of people excusing the category. And so we've just had a fantastic experience. Yes, part of it is the outpouring of love for this sweet little puppy. Um, but I just think it's very hard to change my mind. <laughs> I know it's also shocking. Yeah, right. Um, and it's also really hard for me to switch loyalty. And not that I, and I haven't even mentioned the other vet on purpose because I still love them and I don't want anyone to think badly of them. So I just thought that was one to highlight because they've just, I mean, it's elevated on one experience that was already elevated. Yeah, and I think what you just showed, and it's the same thing I've experienced, is a true passion um, yep. for what they do coming through the work. And yep. what that does is establish a culture that everybody then embodies that, uh-huh. right? And she's scaled big time. At, so it's Sherry Kyle who started this. And I remember when she just had one small office over mm-hmm. where by like the melting pot used to be. And um, now she th- she has several doctors that mm-hmm. actually work um, at, at the hospital. And they have that whole building. And, they, and they bu- she built that building specifically for everything. And she is a true animal lover, and it comes through on everything. When I had to put um, Alex down, it was a late Sunday, and um, might have been a Saturday. She stayed way past hours mm-hmm. as um, we had to put him down. And I think the other thing, too, which is a, a really important part of the passion of being an animal lover is that they never wanted to see animals suffer. So yes. they're very, very clear and transparent about the fact of, like, no, it's time to let go. Mm-hmm. Um, if it was my dog, I would, you know, it's time to let go. And I've always appreciated about them, about the transparency they have, about the care for the animals, the true care that they had for the animals. Um, and yeah, so I've had two dogs before that, a cat, now Roxy. I mean, they've all gone to um, to Kyle Veterinary Hospital and they do do a really good job of boarding. Um, it's amazing because Roxy doesn't get boarded hardly at all either. But when mm-hmm. she does... She comes in. I'm like, hey, where's the the rest of her food? And like, what do you mean, where's the rest of her food? She ate it all. And I was like, she ate. Like, she doesn't even <laughs> eat at our house if we're all gone. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, what they do works. Doing so, something right. Yeah. So this is a a love a love fest for Kyle Veterinary Hospital. But yes, they're fantastic. All right. So just to recap, how to effectively evaluate candidates to get the right fit. Number one, count the resume as the first impression. How does the person show up? Remember, this is the first thing they're putting in front of you to communicate who they are and about themselves. Number two, conducting the first interview with the right mindset. This is not a check-the-box exercise. You must probe deeper. Number three, hiring is a team effort. Treat it as such. If you work with others, your opinion might be the deciding factor, but it's not the entire factor. And finally, use the offer as the final confirmation. This might give you additional information on the person and your decision. And with that, we will say, go and exercise your marketing smarts. Still need help in growing your marketing smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com. We can help you become a savvier marketer through coaching or training you and your team or doing the work on your behalf. Please also help us grow the podcast by rating and reviewing on your player of choice and sharing with at least one person. Now, go show off your marketing smarts.